on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there, welcome aboard. Time to drop the kelic and settle in for another session on The Big Fish. Our first cast this morning on The Big Fish is with Di Morrissey, one of Australia's most prolific and successful authors. In her latest book, The Night Tide, Di returns to her roots with a heartfelt tale of secrets, mystery and community on an idyllic Sydney waterway. Inspired by her childhood growing up at Pittwater, when Di was just seven, she'd row out on her own to catch fresh fish for the family and still to this day lives for fishing. She just loves wetting a line. But the true story of her early life across the water on Pittwater is full of more drama and tragedy than any fiction. We've had a really horrendous season for drownings and coming up, Di reveals the tragic story of the double drowning that decimated her family. It's the big fish, and Di Morrissey is a household name. I'm sure if you look in the bookcase, you'll find one of her brilliant novels. She's so well-read, a bestseller, Di Morrissey AM, uh, one of our great novelists. But there's a reoccurring theme that I'm seeing in some of these books uh, here, Di. Uh, Good morning. Welcome to The Big Fish, first of all. Oh, thank you, Scott. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm a big fan. I listen every week. (laughs) Oh, there's a bit of a theme. I see uh, Barra Creek. I see The Reef. I see one about Pitwater. Uh, The latest book is is all about Pitwater, where you uh, cut your teeth. Where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's one on Kauai, which has got great blue water fishing. These places, these these uh, scenes for your drama are, are very good fishing spots. What's the coincidence I'm there, Di? I about that. I always have to go and research the place where I set a book. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a, a, a little, uh, a little uh, um, fishing. And, of course, you know, my book, Tears of the Moon, which has been really my most popular book, which is set in Broome. So, um, um, and I'm very fond of Broome, so I go to Broome a lot. It's such great fishing all along the coast up there. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. You've got to do that research, Di. It's very important. Absolutely. You've got to, this got is, to get it right. <laughs> this is what you call immersive writing, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, they're all Australian stories, and and you know we have we have great uh, great locations, and it just so happens that there tends to be a lot of great fishing. That's so, right. Uh, that's right. And what about the the latest one set on Pitwater? The night tide. Yes, that's set on Pitwater. See, that was written um, during COVID, and uh, and. Each one of my books is set in a particular place in Australia, so I go and research and I spend a couple of weeks there. Uh, so with COVID, I couldn't go anywhere. So I was trying to think, what's a place I know really, really well? And I grew up at Pitwater in Lovett Bay, um, and uh, and it's uh, you know Chip Strafferty had a house down there, and he was my godfather. And, uh, you know, I just thought that there are all these wonderful stories. So it's kind of a mystery um, and it's a, and it's set, a set of, uh, you know, in modern, modern day, some in the 70s, but some now. So, but I've had so many people contact me. There's amazing, all over the world, there are people that love 
pit water. It is a very special place. It's getting a little too many boats around, you know, as you as you know, pulling a kingfish up between the moorings. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The only the only upside to it is many of the kingies are on some of those boats that haven't been maintained and have gone to the bottom and created uh, artificial reefs. So yes, that's yes. Uh, sort of uh, an interesting conundrum there. But it, oh, it is a beautiful waterway, isn't it? Um, oh, it is. You know what, where one of the best spots in pit water was to fish when I was a kid was um, out, right in front of Chips Rafferty's old house. You know, you remember Chips Rafferty, the oh, old yeah. movie star. Well, Australia's <laughs> biggest movie <laughs> star, really, sort of. remember dear old Chips. But um, when we had at one time an enormous, when I was about six, there were these huge bushfires that came down Karingai Chase all around, down to, literally to the water around Towler's Bay. And there was an old draft horse that someone had in Towler's Bay. And poor old Baldy had lived there for years. And anyway, the poor old bugger got into the water and, and drowned. Oh. So I remember sitting in a, in a little runabout with, with um, you, know, her, you know, Uncle Tony. And we're going across to visit ships. And I kept saying, what's that behind us that we're towing? And he'd go, oh, don't worry about it, love. It's just some, We're just going to dump it in front of Chips' place. Well, it was dear old Baldy. And for years afterwards, <laughs> A, it was a great fish place, but occasionally there'd be an old bone come up from Baldy. <laughs> so Baldy was a great servant on land and in the water. He was. And fish. He was burly. He was burly. We're speaking with uh, great Australian author Di Morrissey, who loves fishing. The latest book, The Night Tide, is uh, a bit of a, a tale for for the present too, isn't it? About um, you know greed, corporate greed, and and uh, people not valuing environment and heritage. Yes, well, you know the, that is my big big bugbear because I also run a local newspaper up here where I live on the mid north coast around the Manning. And I, I and, hear you uh, stir the pot a bit up there. Oh, I do, I do. I'm just, um, it just is. You know, it used to be like Hawksnest had a huge hundreds of koalas. There's not one left anymore around that tea gardens lot. The developers, I mean, we're cutting down all the trees. And putting in these houses, they look like the Sydney suburbs with, you know, grey roofs and eaves touching. That's not what people move to the country to to have. And I just think the developers rule the council in my mind. So uh, um, something's got to be done. We just can't keep hacking down everything and putting in, um, you know, houses that don't have you know any any environment, and let alone what's happening to the habitat and wildlife. Yeah, you were lucky there at, at Pittwater with the, the National Park right down to the water. That was my backyard, um, you know, as a little kid. See, uh, we lived in a in in a in, in a little kind of you know cottage, and the, everyone around us that was you know some distance away were all hot weekenders, you know, and Sydney people would come for their weekend. So I had no playmates. So my backyard was just roaming through Karingai Forest and you know, chasing wallabies and fishing. I mean, every night I came home, I had to sit on the end of the jetty from after school and catch all the yellowtail because at one point we had nine cats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they all lined up behind me along the jetty as I threw them the yellowtail. And I mean, at seven and ten, I had my own little boat. I used to row the dinghy all around pit water and go fishing and, and come back with, with you know, fish for dinner.
Um, and I'm thinking, oh, God, would I let my seven-year-old daughter be <laughs> rowing around the water now? I don't know that I would. <laughs> and any, any memorable captures, any stories? Yeah, we mainly catching whiting and brim and, and those bread and butter species or any time that you tangle with something bigger? Oh, yes, yes. With uh, Actually, um, snapper have been my pièce de resistance. I pulled in a massive snapper one time um, and, and a pretty big flatty another time, which um, uh, um, I, I learned about uh, how to handle very fast. Um, uh, and then, I don't know, and then a couple of years ago, I caught a, uh, a lovely 11 kilo um, uh, snapper off uh, Brunswick. Uh, and uh, and so I think, uh, the, but when I go fishing in Kauai, I mean, going up to the big mahi-mahi is fun. Oh, they're amazing, aren't they? The way they get around any debris or, or those oh. fads, it's incredible how they are attracted to those things. Well, that's what they call them, yeah. fish-attracting devices, don't they? Yes, yes. It's, you know, they've, uh, uh, they've stuck a lot of, uh, you know, artificial reefs and, and, and stuff as well. So it's always very good fishing. And that water, uh, that water dye, the colour of that water, I uh, mean, and the, the colour of those fish, they're quite extraordinary. And the big bull... When they come out of the sea and this you know, brilliant hues of that kind of golden green and they fight and it's uh, uh, it's fabulous, yes. Yeah, uh, they're great uh, fish, uh, they're great fish and they, they eat very well too, they're don't they? they're very tasty too. <laughs> We're speaking with best-selling Australian author Di Morrissey about her obsession and love of, of fishing. So really uh, salt water's in your veins there, Di, although you've, you've done a bit of freshwater fishing as well. There's the, the barra, have you chased the barra in the freshwater? I have. I've, I went for Barra when uh, I was up in uh, um, up in the Kimberley, uh, but it was like it was a day before the season ended, and it was just like there was not. You could see them. You could see them on the sounder, and they were all there going nutty nutty na na. Nothing. So I've only caught one little Barra one time, but. Uh, I'll go back and tackle them, um, uh, uh, you know, another time. Uh, there's always another fish. There's al- always another spot. There's always another to, day. To try out. Now, you've just had a great time down with Stinker, haven't you, in, in his oh, backyard? Oh, look, he's such a wonderful character. Uh, you know, he's fun, but he's very wise and he's very knowledgeable and the, the history that, that he knows. I mean, he's a real icon in, uh, well, everywhere, but, but particularly in Fingal Bay. And, um, you know, I had listened to him on your program and I thought, gosh, he sounds the most fabulous character. So as I'm running this independent newspaper, I rang him up and asked him if he'd like to do a fishing column for me. And so that was how we became became mates. And then I'd been down and, and you know, visited him and, and we've become really good buddies and we bond over. We both write children's books as well. And and he's he's such an interesting and such a genuine and really good hearted, decent man. Um, and so we, uh, Boris and I thought we'd go down and um, uh, uh, to, you know, have a couple of, spend Easter down there in Fingal and uh, and spend time with uh, Stinker and or John and Ella. So it was it was fabulous to have quality time where you could linger over dinner and, and yarn and yarn and yarn. He's not bad on the old guitar either. No, he's, he's pretty useful, isn't he, Stinker? He's, <laughs> he's good fun. You give him a beer or two and, and he'll uh, entertain you for hours. He's, yeah, he's a, dr- a brilliant other- bloke. Uh, the other thing I love about Fingal is, and, uh, and of course, you know, John started all of this, was there's a local watering hole, and uh, and he started uh, Friday, Thursday nights at 5 o'clock, all the locals 
go. They might not go anywhere else during the week, but 5 o'clock on Thursday, it's a real community. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody looks out for everybody, and everyone has a lot of fun together. It's so nice to see that because... uh, you know, up here we're very scattered. You know, I'm on, um, I'm out of out of Wingham, and I'm on a, on on a couple of acres, and so it's you know you just can't walk walk into town and go and have a beer with your mates, you know, too easily. And you've so, got to, you've got to have someone to tell the fishing stories too. Now, I believe that your fishing buddy Boris and your your life partner uh, yeah. had a, a tangle with a monster from the deep. We were on a charter, just the two of us, and. Uh, um, we were sitting there, and then suddenly, whammo! Um, and these, you know, we could see on the thing that they were obviously Jewies. But uh, Boris had a, I don't know, I think he had a fifty kilo line on. Ping, bing, snap! Uh, it was, uh, and then three minutes later, I got hit. Could not, couldn't bring it up. It was like trying to bring up a, you know, a tank, uh, <laughs> and then bang! Suddenly, you get it, you know, halfway, and then you could just start to see it. And then, bing, off the line broke. Wow. So, I mean, God knows what it was, but I mean, how big it was. And you caught but, a few to yeah. bring home? You caught a few to bring home? Oh, we did. We did. However, we did. And uh, we bought, caught a lot of trag, but <laughs> they were all less than half, minute, half a centimetre too short. So the captain didn't want to get into trouble, so we had to toss a hell of a lot back. But that's fine. We bought some home to eat, and that was good. Oh, that's that's the way. They're nice trag too. They're very similar to Jewfish, aren't they? They're just a yeah, different yeah, shape yeah. of the tail. Well, we got a couple of decent kingies, so that was you know. So yes, we took a few up to uh, to 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 see. Oh, Stinker is also a very good chef. He he and Ella they cook beautiful fish. <laughs> so he's an and I got to meet Stinkpot. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Are you surprised by the size of that boat? I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. I know. And he, uh, he's a uh, um, he's a man of the sea. Nobody would do what what uh, uh, in their right mind would do what John does. But uh, he always comes safely home. He's not stupid, but it, but he's brave. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. I tell you what, don't if he says come out with me, I don't do it. <laughs> Did you know that Stinkpot's going to heaven? And there's he's got Stinkpot two, and Ella's threatening to grow herbs in Stinkpot one. <laughs> He's not too happy. <laughs> I think he's. I know he's been helping the locals to want to get an, a museum up that looks at the uh, indigenous heritage of the area and also the oh, yeah, the, the sailing and fishing heritage Broughton of the area. Island. And I, th- yeah. I think in Broughton Island, he's written great books on Broughton Island. I think um, maybe Stinkpot One could end up as a, a museum piece because it's got the beautiful. I think that's. Book. I think that's perfect place for a big pot to go. Or Ella can fill it with soil and grow vegetables. That sounds like another <laughs> great use as well. And anyway, you've got a few to bring home and, and that's the main oh, thing. Oh, we did indeed. Well, just being at sea, there, there's that you're away from everybody, you're, you know, you don't have the phones, you don't have people and, you know, you can just sit there be, with, you know, the ocean, the distant horizon, island crashing over there and it's just, you just turn off and all is right with the world um, it's just very, that's my most um, favourite thing to do when I really feel at peace with the world and just, you know, it's just, I just, sitting on a sitting on a boat, just lolling, lolling, waiting, waiting. Hey, there Love was a it. bit of lolling with the, the big southerly swell that we've had over the last it week was. or so. Was it, yeah, was it pumping? Yeah, it, was, it was a bit. 
Uh, but that doesn't bother me, you know, and we've got a bit of shower so long as, you know, I can keep my balance to reel in, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, and, and Port Stephens is a great place to go outside from, isn't it, compared to yeah. some of those areas oh, up north where Brunswick heads and whatnot, the bars can be a bit dodgy. Oh, the dodgy. bars are, are very dodgy, yes, yes. I can't get over what a bad year it's been for tragedies, though, for drownings, and I don't know, we've, we've just got to get teach every kid in, in at school to swim. Uh, uh, it's just that um, people are not swimming between the flags. We've had so many tragedies. It's really been a bad year. So I think a lot more education has to happen. We've had the worst uh, year on record, I think, Di. I think you're uh, ab- absolutely factual there when it comes to uh, drownings, yeah, yeah, uh, both yeah. uh, in- inland waterways and the coast. Yes, and the, you know a, lo- a lot of migrants and new new people to Australia when they fish on the rocks, they they uh, you know they just have to be prepared for that. Um, so I think yeah. there's been a lot of active rock fishing accidents as well. My father drowned in pit water, um, and uh, that you know that was a, a, a tragedy. And yet I still feel really, I still love the sea. Uh, so uh, what, what, what um, was yeah. the, so that's terrible to hear, Di. What were the circumstances there? Oh well, it, it was um, it was a terrible thing. My father started a little water taxi service. Um, you know, to compete with the old ferry service. And because that was new, no one had ever done that. And I was 10. And uh, um, my mum went in because we lived at Lubber Bay. So we, you know, were dropped at church. He dropped us at Church Point Wharf. And, you know, I was at school. So my mother went shopping in Mona Vale and we got this, she got the school bus home. When we got to Church Point Wharf, there was just, I remember an ambulance going past the bus and thinking, you know, oh, and it's funny, you know, I just met the other day a man who was a kid sitting behind me on the bus and he remembers the ambulance going past and knowing, and then later knowing it was me. And then we, uh, when we got there, the, apparently my 18-month-old baby brother had been on the boat with my uh, father and uh, the, kid, the baby fell overboard and he jumped in. It was winter. You know, he had boots and a big Aaron sweater and both of them drowned. It was, I just don't know how my mother ever coped with, she'd never worked, uh, losing her husband and son after a life of quite, you know, being, uh, you know, post-war. He'd been a Changi veteran. And uh, so, you know, they'd come back. This was the beginning of a whole new life for them. Um, and yet then later my mother went on to become our first TV, you know, uh, woman director. But, um, yes, it was – so Pittwater holds extraordinary memories for me, both good and bad. But uh, it was – you know, I went back there recently after I set the book there and saw the changes. And, yeah, a lot hasn't changed, uh, but a lot is. Uh, but it's still a very special place. Yeah. Di, was, was that a, a little cathartic going back? And, and I mean, they're obviously oh, ter- terrible – Terribly traumatic memories. I mean, that's just the most sad story ever. I've been, I've been, I've been back many times, but I haven't been back for about, I don't know, because I've been living up in Byron and up up the north here. Um, I hadn't actually been back for about fifteen years, and so the glamour of you know Church Point and the Pasadena and the beautiful restaurant and hotels and the flash boats. Uh, all of these big flash. Every bay had boats in it, which of course wasn't that wasn't you know uh, you know 
didn't their people they only came to visit and uh and or they went to the base and people didn't come down to Pitwater and Macars Creek and you know maybe the island around the island but yeah so it was um so it was lovely because some things hadn't changed i mean there were some things driving down to through Bayview there are still some of those beautiful old homes that i remember from the school bus when i was little that are still there unchanged uh, the seafront is basically, you know, the waterfront hasn't changed that much. Uh, you know, um, there's still ta- Tarangawa, you know, Dorothy McKellar's house. And so, um, yeah, so it's there's a lot still the same and, and a lot that's a little bit different. But you can't take the magic of pit water away, really. Di, what, what about the community? Did they rally around your mum and, and yourself? That's just yes, such a well, tragic thing to lose your dad and, and little well, baby brother. Well, he had no money, you know. I remember him coming in and sticking his captain's hat on the ta- on my little brother, baby's head, and throwing a few coins on the table, you know. That, that was sort of... So it was, you know, a new venture. Well, Chip Strafferty set up a... Um, a, a, you know, a fund, and we, with that money that people donated, my mother and I sailed to San Francisco to her sister, and we spent, you know, and that was where Mum learned about, got into television and stuff, and so we spent that year, and I went to the, to the local American school, which was also an extraordinary <laughs> experience, um, and uh, and then we came back and settled at um, at Mona Vale with little war veterans, you know, um, fibro shack near Mona Vale Beach, and so you know um, that whole high my high school, you know, I le- after I left, uh, I started on the Woman's Weekly with Aisha as a as a cadet journalist. And then, you know, you don't sort of move. We never went back, never went back. But as a married adult, when I, you know, had lived overseas and came back, um, you know, I I, I do, I make those pilgrimages every so often. Generally, um, uh, you know, to see friends, I launched uh, Susan Duncan's book about Dorothy McKellar's house because, you know, she was a big influence on me as well, McKellar. As a little girl, she was the one that got me writing. She said, um, Dorothy has got this big library of, I've never seen a wall of books before. And I said, Oh, we, I don't only get a book at Christmas and my birthday. So um, in the meantime, I said, I make up my own stories. And Dorothy said to this little girl, When you grow up, you put those stories in a book one day for other people to read. And I went, Oh, what a good idea. I'll do that. What a great story. What a mentor. What a lovely story. Look, thanks for sharing so much with us, uh, Di. It's an amazing life that you've led and uh, this love of fishing, it's just so so great that you've got that joy in, in your life you. as well as the love of writing and reading and uh, all things good. Thanks for your time. Lovely to chat, Scott. A great honour. <laughs> no, it's great to have you on The Big Fish, uh, one of our very keen fisherwomen uh, on the coast. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Scott. Take care. The wonderful Di Morrissey there. Di's had a week with Stinker and Ella at Fingal Bay. Stinker will tell us his side of the story up next. A most progressive fishmonger has moved into our street. His name is Harry Mullet. The kids think it's a treat to stand outside his shop and hear him shout at passers-by. There's romance in me fishing chips, so won't you come and try some? Fish and chips in an old newspaper, eat them with the one that you adore. Two hands linger, dipping in the paper, who could ask for more? Give away those soda fountains, pass right by their doors. 
You'll find fish and chips more fun than staring over two old straws. Fish and chips in an old newspaper, reading with the one that you adore. Two hands linger, dipping in the paper, who could ask for more? Hey, Harry, have you ever been fishing? Yes, I once caught a 200-pound tuna, but I had to throw it back. Throw it back? Why did you throw back a 200-pound tuna? Because it was a piano tuna. <laughs> Fish and chips in an old newspaper, eating with the one that you adore. Two hands linger, dipping in the paper, who could ask for more? Hey, where's me eye Right over here. Oh, well, keep chopping away at them chips. Keep chopping, keep chopping, I say. Why should I keep chopping? Because there's only a few more chopping days to Christmas. <laughs> Fish and chips in an old newspaper, eating with the one that you adore. Two hands linger, dipping in the paper, who could ask for more? Hey, my old man was in the old sailfish business. Go on, how did he get on? I don't know, we could never get close enough to him to ask him. <laughs> Fish and chips in an old newspaper, eating with the one that you adore. Two hands linger, dipping in the paper, who could ask for more? You kids, go on, get out of the shop. Go on, up it. Harry, that's not very kind, chasing those little children out of the shop. After all, they didn't write your material. I know, but they spilt tomato sauce on me tablecloth, and I haven't read it yet. Fish and chips in an old newspaper, eating with the one that you adore. Two hands linger, dipping in the paper, who could ask for more? Give away those soda fountains, pass right by their doors. You'll find fish and chips more fun than staring over two old straws. Oh, fish and chips in an old newspaper, eat them with the one that you adore. Two hands linger, dipping in the paper, who could ask for more? The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Stinker with his fishing tips Some hot advice For your fishing trip Where to find him What's the bait Are you catching any mate Morning Stinker Hey guys, Scott One of our best selling authors in this country Told some great stories about you in the first half hour of the big fish And her uh, husband Boris Had a great time with you at Fingal Bay She said he's a great cook and a great singer. He cracked out the guitar and serenaded us with beautiful songs after dinner. <laughs> I think we better get you on the big fish with your guitar, Stinker. I only sing in the very late of the night. <laughs> you're, you're the midnight singer. <laughs> Around the moon in midnight. <laughs> what's, your, what's your repertoire? What did you do for uh, Di and Boris? Well, it's a funny thing. I I know about four or five chords, I suppose, and it's amazing how many songs you can play on a guitar with, well, even three chords. And uh, I was at, when I was teaching in Gilgandra, for one night there at the Turrawina Hotel, which is called the Mountain View Hotel, it looks up onto the Warrumbungle uh, mountain range in um, central New South Wales near Coonabarabran. Anyway, I had the guitar in the in my car, and the bloke who owned the pub at the time, he said, "If you and your mate like to sing in the pub, you can have free beer." I said, "Whoa, that's good <laughs> enough for us. That's more than we've ever had before." I said, "But we only know four songs." He said, "That doesn't matter. Just sing those four, and then sing them again." And so we sang them about four times. So we sung 16 times 
four the same four songs <laughs> and no one in the pub knew. <laughs> <laughs> well, Di reckons you're fantastic. And she said you're a very good cook. You must have trotted out your best seafood recipes for Di. Well, I caught, I, I knew she was coming. I knew that her and Boris were coming. So I, what I really wanted to do was to catch some fresh snapper. Fresh snapper. I mean, I, I've already frozen some snapper down, but fresh snapper tastes better than anything else. So I thought I'm going to make a genuine effort to go and catch them. So I went out early in the morning. You remember I said I went out in the morning and I like a zombie for the rest of the day? Yes, we got that story the other day, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I did. I went out to catch fresh fish for Di and Boris and in all the wrong conditions. But I caught enough. I caught enough, a two and a half kilo snapper, and then I filleted it and skinned it and boned it and then I just, I said to Di, I said, how would you like this piece of fish cooked? It was one fillet of this beautiful snapper. And she said, oh, just throw it in the pan. I said, you can have, um, you know, well, I'll can dust it with flour or I can dip it in, in a batter or I can breadcrumb it. She said, no, just said, stick it in the, in the frying pan. Oh, right, with a little bit of butter. Yeah, that's fine. So I cooked it not real hot, but sort of, cooked it uh, on a three-quarter medium heat um, and it came out absolutely beautiful. It was so moist and tender. Uh, Fish can get a bit tough at times, but this was just beautiful. And we had it with the fried rice and I think we had some plum sauce too. And it was, yeah, it was really good. Uh, Sounds just wonderful. Uh, Just sounds wonderful. And and, uh, she loved the Thursday night Fingal get-together that um, you're always a little bit dusty on Friday morning after that, but she loved the community spirit there. Yes, well, that that's great. I mean, Fingal was never, it wasn't like that when we first moved here. We've been here in Fingal Bay nearly 50 years. Next year we'll be here 50 years. And, and for the majority of that period, it was socially a very cold place. No one wanted to know anybody because... But it was a holiday town, and people who come here from around the, the country or even overseas to have a holiday, they really don't want to meet the locals. They just want to have time with their family, go to the beach, go fishing, you know, and really um, time talking to locals just didn't exist. But now in the last particularly well, five to ten years, there's been an influx of of people, uh, married people, generally retired, who have come here to actually live uh, and to participate in the community. Well, we've got a little cellars, a little tavern down in the middle of Fingal Bay, and that's where we gather at 5 o'clock every Thursday. So if anyone's looking for me in Fingal Bay, at 5 o'clock on the dot, that's where I'll be. And then everyone comes... We started off with only three or four of us, but now we sometimes get 50 and 60 people and they bring their friends along and, and their dogs and their, <laughs> the whole the entire family turns up. It's a wonderful experience and I can understand what Di's talking about. Stinker, do you have memories of Easter fishing? Was Easter a big fishing time for you? Because it, really you've put it on hold a bit for this period, don't you, now that all of the... The tourists are there and you can't launch off the beach. I guess you just have a little break. Yeah, that's what I do. I step back at Easter now, but 
in my childhood, particularly, oh, gee, how old would I have been? Probably from the age of 10 to the age of 15 or 16. Yeah, for those years, I was so look forward to Easter because that is when the Easter fishing competition would be on the Thursday night before Good Friday. Now, I've mentioned this before, but it was it would have been a bit on this program and it would have been around about Easter some years ago, so you may have forgotten it, but it was just so exciting because it was all night. You'd start at six in the um, afternoon on Thursday afternoon and then you'd weigh all your fish in at 6 o'clock on Friday morning, but you'd have to fish all night. And, oh, look, I never could. I could never last it. I ended up always asleep in the bottom of the boat. (laughs) The real excitement was to get there on the Friday morning and see what everyone else had caught. And, of course, they all would come in in bags or be dragged in, (laughs) depending upon the size of the fish. (laughs) It could be dragged in on a bit of rope or or whatever. But you mentioned Wormy Jack. Well, oh, gee, look, fair dinkum. Anyone from the Tweed would remember Wormy Jack. And he had a push bike, Wormy, a push bike and a rowboat and a tent. That's all I can remember really about Wormy Jack. But um, the tent was set up beside the bantam where there were bantams in a hen house and so he sort of shared the room with the bantams. Uh, you don't see <laughs> bantams anymore. How come you don't? Where, oh, I don't where know. Where are all the bantams gone? Cocky little things they were. They only gave you tiny little eggs. Yeah, that's right. But, yeah, they, and they, yeah, they'd strut around like they were emus, but they were on <laughs> sort of ankle high. Yeah, I don't think people <laughs> ca- keep bantams anymore. Maybe I'm wrong. You can drop Stinker a line. He's always uh, up for a chat about... Uh, backyard things, but yes, everyone used to have bantams. I don't know, they were mini- miniature eggs, weren't they? Tiny little yeah. eggs. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to have four to have a meal. That's yeah. Right. But, but this, um, on this particular night, see, nobody, I did not know anyone who had a motor. Everyone I knew rode, and I had a beautiful boat, an old rowboat. I thought it was beautiful, it probably wasn't, but. To me, it was. And um, my father and I would get in this boat and we'd row down the river. And on a, I remember one particular year and it was so still. And, oh, gosh, it was beautiful play. And on the Tweed River, and it's a black, a really dark night and glassy service. And then you'd hear this almighty swearing. Oh, it was turned turn the sky blue. It was <laughs> pretty wild stuff. And, and of course, that's Wormy. We all knew Wormy swore like a trooper. So that was a good sign for everybody to row in that direction because Wormy, he knew where the fish were. So, um, But the only way you could ever hear him is when he was swearing. And, and he always had four to six mongrel dogs in there with him, like... Little foxy crosses things, and, and they yapped and squawked, and it was the noisiest boat on the river, and and that's where you'd go. But I remember one particular night, and the dogs were playing up, so he gave a couple a bit of a swat, and they went straight over the side of the boat into the river, and we're fishing about oh, a couple of hundred metres from him downstream, and the two dogs come swimming straight past us, <laughs> and their heads up and their little legs going for it. <laughs> and well, I had a scoop net and I said, I think we should try and scoop these dogs. And anyway, I missed them, 
but they kept going, and then I saw them both um, land on Greenbank Island and shake themselves as dogs do, and then they trotted off home. No, they didn't care. That you know, that was just a normal night for those dogs. Wow, wow, what an amazing! And he lived in a tent next to the Bantam shed. Yeah, well, he shared a bit of space with the Bantams. <laughs> You know, they never cause any trouble, really, no. not to my knowledge. No, that's you fair know, then they wouldn't be, you know, they'd be okay. And, and those great beach fishermen of the day with their long rods and their alvies, would they bring in cricket scores of, of stuff to, oh, to weigh in? Yeah. Taylor and Brim were the, were the big ones, and the occasional Mulloway, they, they were the big ones. But um, if you ever looked up um, Thompson and Cronk and Bailey, those are the surnames. Len Thompson, Ron Cronk and Len Bailey, and they were all Australian champions from Tweed Heads, and they would fish, and everybody would wait to see what those three fellows brought in. Oh, it was just, that was really exciting times. But I don't think any of that happens anymore. Maybe it does, but I'm, I'm unaware of it. It certainly doesn't happen here in Port Stephen. No, I think they're, they're days gone by, Stinker, absolutely days gone by. And this is a great time, though, isn't it, for that sort of thing? You know, I remember as a little kid staying in a, in a camping ground and people would share the fish around. No one had caravans. It was all tents, old, old canvas tents and uh, no, no shirts or, or shoes. People did get a feed of fish. There was always, uh, always a mouth to feed. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you'd always catch a few for your neighbours. Um, yeah, and particularly Taylor. Taylor, there were so many Taylor on the beaches, but you had to be there on, on sunup. I remember that. And the strange part about it, it went right up the Gold Coast to Palm Beach, and what all the avenues are named, numbered one right through. And I remember not, number 19, 19 um, Avenue and Palm Beach, you drive down the end of that, go down to the beach, and there was the tailor. Oh, gee. But on that, just remembering that night, that all-night fishing comp, and Wormy, he would tie these great whopping creatures up into Terranora Lakes. He'd, he'd have a pole, an oyster pole, and he'd had a heavy line, and he'd uh, catch up those big conger eels, and he'd catch a massive stingray, and then he would tether them to the oyster poles in the in the Terranora Lakes and keep them alive for the big day. So he may well have caught them um, up to 10 days prior to the competition. So when the competition come around, <laughs> he, he'd pull these monster creatures into his boat, row in, and then when they'd call out the name, you see, they'd call out uh, juniors, John Clark. Well, oh, I was sort of nervous when I'd walk out and I'd have a few fish and then they'd start calling out the seniors. And then at the end of the at the end of the um, competition, they had a section called vermin, and that's for all the things that you don't really want to catch. Well, that's when Wormy sprung to life, <laughs> and they'd call out Wormy Jack. Well, Wormy would drag in these monstrous creatures who were deceased by this time, and everyone would step aside and everyone would go, whoa, look at that. You know? And it was rather scary because by this time they're cross-eyed, you know. Oh, dear. And I really think one year he won a torch and a pair of thongs. <laughs> 
you got to laugh, but I'm, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. I mean, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. That's but how a, it was. a different, That's how it was, different you know? era. Different era. Look, it's it's great talking fishing with you, Stinky. What's in store once the tourists go home? Uh, this is a good time of year. Oh, May. May is probably one of my most productive months, particularly when I fish for, for Mulloway. Like I say, I don't fish for Mulloway anymore, but now when I get those southerlies in May, uh, April, May, June, probably May, May is just a wonderful month. And I'll get out there, and, and if I get those southerlies and if I get a, a medium swell, it's too big through the week. This week in Port Stephens is up over four metres. Big sea, big sea. But if I can get around about a two-metre sea with a southerly wind and hopefully a high tide in the afternoon sometimes, I'll get out there nice and early, maybe two or three hours before the change of tide, and then I'll burly up and toss my bait back uh, into the burly trail just short of the big bombora here and hang on. Oh, they're the most beautiful snapper. And as I mentioned before, there's a lot of spangled emperor in amongst them now too. So it's a real uh, jackpot if you get something like that. Oh, wonderful fish. Stinker, I bet you can't wait for the tourists to go home. Oh, no. Look, I'm very tolerant when it comes to tourists because by coming from Tweed Heads and now living in Port Stephens, I've always lived in a tourist town and I know that the lifeblood of that town is, in fact, the tourist industry. So what you do is you make tourists feel so welcome and hopefully they'll come back again. So, yeah, no, I'm very um, very welcoming of the of the tourists. But as you say, I do breathe a sigh of relief when, uh, when I've got it sort of to myself. It's a bit selfish, really, but... Yeah, you do. You say, oh, well, now back back to normalcy. <laughs> All right. Well, your ears were burning after Di Morrissey this morning. Funny stories like your better better half wanting to turn Stinkpot 1 into a flower bed and all sorts of stuff. Uh, she she loved it. So thanks for sharing uh, Fingal Bay with that tourist uh, who's one of our great authors. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Scott. Hooroo. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Coming up on the flyboat, Stephen Gaynor with the story of a 120-centimetre dewy they caught in Sydney Harbour and the first ludric of the season. That's coming up on The Big Fish. It's the big fish, and Stephen Gaynor is out there amongst it on Sydney Harbour. Boy, I wish I was with you, Steve. Good morning. 
Mate, good morning, Scott. I wish you were out here too, but, you know, I've got second best here. I've got Clint here from Canada, and we're having a great day on the water. So all is good. How are you, buddy? I'm very well. You say, hey, buddy, to Clint there. Hey, buddy. Yeah, I've been hanging out with these Canadians for too long. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, they're don't, great. Don't let me start out Canada. <laughs> no. Oh. Uh, don't start talking about ice hockey. <laughs> no, Jesus, no. <laughs> hey, um, what, what are you catching? What are you catching? Mate, we've had a good day today. We got a few kings uh, on fly. We we uh, we had the first blackfish of the season, so gave that a bit of a go. And we got a few little ones, heaps of little downs and no connections. But you know, he got a nice thirty six. And from someone from Canada who's never even seen a blackfish before, he's pretty happy. And we're sitting on a mark here out in Middle Harbour, trying to get another kingy. Wow! Any uh, size in the kingies? Any over sixty five? Ah, look. Very small. There was another charter out here today, and he was sort of congratulating himself because he got a 66. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> they've been really tough. Um, last week we had a good run, and then they disappeared. And yeah, we're back to just rats again. Oh, there's nothing wrong with the rats. They're, they're, even the little oh. ones are big. No, they're so fun. You know, at least we're catching fish. You know what yeah. I mean? What are you getting them on? Um, a lot on um, olive and white clouders and uh-huh. poppers. Yeah, like the poppers. Are, look, poppers on markers and clouses going down deep. We are just smashing them. But, yeah, poppers are so much fun right now. Like, we, we got one on popper this morning. He wasn't even moving it. We weren't even looking at it. It was just sitting on the surface and got eaten. That's, so, that's so as good bigger. as it gets. That's as good as it, it gets it, for it me. I, you can have your Fraser River salmon and your giant BC steelhead. I, I don't reckon they'd pull as hard as a kingy. I don't know. Ask the man himself. What do you think, Clint? I don't know. The king salmon pulls pretty hard, but those uh, the kings here are pretty good. Yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, you can do, Clint. To his head across to uh, Twizel over in New Zealand and catch giant king salmon. We caught a few there uh, in January, and they are just the best to eat. They leave Atlantic salmon for dead. I must say, those Pacific salmon, particularly the kings or the chinook, I think they are, aren't they? Uh, They are the best salmon in the world to eat. They've got such a high uh, oil content. They are just beautiful sashimi or cooked, just par-cooked, medium rare. Wow, they leave our Atlantic salmon for dead. Yeah, they're pretty fantastic. That's the salmon I go for. I'm from Western Canada, so uh, Chinook salmon is the salmon we, we hit. And rumor has it there's salmon apparently in Sydney Harbour, but <laughs> I haven't seen one yet. <laughs> I, I, I might have mentioned that we had salmon, but then I kind of tried to explain that they're nothing like the salmon he was used to <laughs> and how disappointed the people would have been on the first fleet when they actually tasted these fish. Yeah, so, <laughs> very different, yeah. very different. But those uh, beautiful big uh, Pacific salmon are just amazing. And I thought I was catching Atlantic salmon when we were over there at Weisel in the canals uh, on fly and lure, and they're great fly takers. They really are good fish, but uh, turned out they were so much better, the Pacific salmon, um, and they're big, big uh, steelhead there as well, big, big rainbow trout too. But yeah, the Australian salmon, I don't know. I mean, kawaii are so good to catch, aren't they? They're, they're, they're okay sashimi. I think they're really nice sashimi. Yeah, look, I've been told all sorts of things by crazy Kiwis, so I, I just I just don't know who to trust anymore because I personally don't like them. Uh, but, you know, in a brown sugar brine and smoke them, supposedly they're okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, are, are they in there? I mean, are, where are the salmon at the moment? Yeah, look, there is there is salmon in here, but I don't think there's salmon have left. You know, these are resident salmon left over from last year. They're fairly big size, anywhere between 60 and 70 centimetres. Uh, up towards Elizabeth Bay and, you know, west of the bridge, they're still holding there. But, you know, we're not seeing the big 
schools on the surface, that's for sure. See, that was a great, yeah. great day we had when they were busting up at Garden Island there, just on the edge of the warships <laughs> in view of the bridge. Oh. Wasn't that every cast, bang, if it oh, wasn't man. a salmon, it'd be a, it a, a bonito or a frigate mackerel or... Uh, or a kingy. I mean, it's just uh, fantastic when they do school up. It's tragic, though, isn't it, that they, they net them for a couple of bucks a kilo and flog them to the, the lobster It's absolutely fishes. disgraceful, you know. And the Western Australian people, they're smart. They don't take their own salmon. They're, they're buying all our salmon so they can get lobster traps. But, you know, let's not get involved in politics, Scott. Life's no. too short. No, that's we right. It just you drives you mad, doesn't happy. it, when you see it a lo- illogical, idiotic um Stuff like that. But uh, on, on to Sydney Harbour. So lots of rat kings, the odd big... What, any uh, Mulloway turning up? Oh, mate. Um, I actually got a real... We got well, heaps of Mulloway. We got a donker of a fish. Um, we're actually fishing for sharks. <laughs> and I had a 40-centimetre tailor on 200-pound wire trace sitting on the bottom. And we ended up getting a 1,200 uh, Mulloway. Oh, what a beautiful fish. Oh, mate, this is a fish for lifetime for these guys, and um, we weren't too disappointed that we didn't get the shark. <laughs> I guess, so, guess, what, yeah. guess what happened to me the other day? There's so many Mulloway about at the moment. Um, I, I was fishing in a secret spot, and uh, I was trying to catch live bait. I had a little tiny piece of prawn on a four-pound line and a little fly hook uh, trying to get some, some yakkers, and away it goes. And I thought, crikey, what's this? It's a big flathead or something. I fought it and fought it and fought it. Turned up to be a fifty centimetre Jewy. <laughs> oh, beautiful! And I was trying Where to. Was that Scott? Was that in uh, Lake Macquarie? Or? L- Lake Macquarie, yeah. There's there's lots of them in Lake. Lots of schoolies in Lake Macquarie at the moment. So I let him go, um, and didn't didn't end up catching the live bait. So it was good fun. And and what's your mate? Is he a good? Is he a good fly caster? Your mate from Canada? They're pretty good on the fly rod up there. Yeah, Clint's pretty good, mate. He's um, yeah, he knows what he's doing. He's caught a few fish before. You got tight loops. Yeah, they're tight enough, you know. As I say, we don't we don't worry about fly loose to the salt. We just need that fly to go where it needs to go. Uh, I don't care if it looks pretty or not pretty. Just how you deliver it. You got to get it out there quick. Well, it sounds like that's he's ha- having a good good time and and getting the first ludric of the season. That's that's exciting. And they fight. They really don't give up. They go round and round in circles like Trevally, and they fight right to the boat, don't they? The big ludric in Sydney Harbour. Yeah. Well, we 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 did have a, a line failure. Clint trying to blame it on my knots, but I, I deny everything there. Scott, deny all knowledge of... I didn't tie it as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Clint, Clint, a bit of a word of advice, mate. Tie your own knots. Don't rely on him. <laughs> you insult me, Scott. Tight lines, <laughs> boys. fluorocarbon. Tight lines, boys. Stuff. Tight lines. All right, Scott. Thanks, mate. Have a good one. See ya. Bye, Clint. Have a good day, eh? Hey, good day, eh? <laughs> Get out of it. Bloody seagulls. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.